grab your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel. I'll invite Lisa and Scott to bring us our two Bible readings. And again, they'll answer the question what the resurrection means to them. The resurrection means to me that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he is Lord. We have been given a hope and certainty if we believe in him in eternal life. So we can worship him and give him thanks that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. If you turn uh, to page 768 for the first Bible reading, commencing at verse 1 of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them he had said these things to her. does the resurrection mean to me? Um, Every year it changes and I suspect this year I've been reflecting on the kingdom of God. It's when the resurrection began is when the kingdom of God began in the sense that from now on, from that moment, every promise was fulfilled about God coming and saving us. And if Jesus can rise from the dead, 
He can do everything else that he's promised. We're saved, we have eternal life, and our sins are forgiven. Hallelujah for that, because some of us are worse sinners than others. Okay, if you don't mind joining me on uh, the same page at uh, John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was, among, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? 
This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of God. Thanks, God. Uh, let me add my welcome. Uh, whether you're a regular at church or whether this is a kind of special occasion and it doesn't happen so often for you, you are very welcome tonight and you've made a good choice. Uh, the rain is rolling in, uh, but that doesn't kind of take the glory off this day, uh, a day where we remember life and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, if you close your Bibles, can I encourage you to kind of reopen them to that part of John that was just read to us by Lisa and Scott? We're going to be looking at it a little bit more closely tonight. But more important than even having the Bible open in front of you is that God might speak to us. And so we're going to pray that he might speak to us now. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and mighty God. Uh, we thank you that you are the God of life and you are alive. Uh, we thank you that you spoke and brought all life into being and you still speak to bring life about. And so, Father, we ask tonight that you would speak. We ask that your spirit would be at work through your word speaking to the hearts and minds of every one of us here tonight. Uh, speak to us words of life uh, that we might know how to live now and speak to us words of life that we might live forever with you. Speak to us, we pray, Lord. Amen. Uh, the problem with uh, most good news is it doesn't last. It's just far too short-lived. Now, as you know, we're, we're three days into the longest weekend of the year. Uh, isn't it great to have extended time off? And even better, this is extended time off that doesn't bite into your annual leave. You know, this is a great weekend. Uh, but sadly, come Tuesday, the good news is all over. Sorry. Still got tomorrow. Uh, and if it is the case that you got kind of bundled with loads of chocolate today, if people were kind of kind to you or you were kind to yourself, and you've got this massive supply of chocolate, um, sadly, it'll probably be over by Tuesday as well. Uh, though, unfortunately, I'm told the effects of that will be longer going. Now, even good news in the more important things in life uh, pass too quickly. You know, the excitement, you've got a new job, uh, it fades into anxiety too fast. Concern about what the job actually means. What it... My grandmother uh, got out of hospital last week, uh, only to go back into hospital again this week. Now, good news is uh, too often fleeting. You know, we called Friday, if you are with us uh, two days ago, we called Friday good. But today, this day, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the reminder that the good news never ends. The good news never ends. Uh, today what we do is we are celebrating 2,000-year-old news that is as fresh today as it was when it was first heard. Uh, we, we, just after the section we read, we, we hear the disciples' reaction uh, when they first heard. If you look in 20 verse 20, Jesus shows his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. I want to say in some deep sense, each one of us here tonight can have a share in that feelings of joy and gladness. Three words. We've been speaking a lot about words. If you saw some of those ads we handed out, uh, some of those postcards that perhaps got you here tonight, uh, we've been focusing a lot on words. Three words to bring you gladness, three words to bring you joy as we remember today the empty tomb. Resurrection, transformation, and restoration. 
Resurrection, transformation and restoration. Uh, first word is resurrection. Be glad today, be overjoyed because Jesus is alive. Uh, John 20 um, opens, it's still dark, it's the morning after the Sabbath and John uh, recounts to us the events in present tense. That is, he's, he's kind of keeping alive the vivid excitement that would have been you know, forever printed on Mary's mind and memory. And she arrives in verse 1 to discover the tomb is empty, the stone is being moved. And so, suspecting, okay, someone's moved the body, uh, she rounds up Peter and John. And when they reach the tomb, a few strange clues have been left. So in verse 6, uh, the strips of linen that, that wrapped Jesus' corpse have been left. Uh, and in verse 7, the cloth covering the head uh, has been neatly folded and, and placed separately. Uh, they're strange little clues. Like if some authority has decided to move his body to a different tomb, why would they go to the effort of, of stripping the body? And there wouldn't be a thief in the business who would have uh, left the expensive linen behind, let alone kind of thinking, oh, I've made a mess of the place. I really should fold some of those clothes so that no one you know, gets too fussed about it. You know, thieves don't do that. They generally kind of just run through and make a mess. No, no. The tomb is empty, but at this point, it's, it's raising more questions than it answers. In verse 9, we see... They still don't understand from Scripture Jesus had to rise. They still don't fully understand. They're in the dark. If you read back um, over John, John uses imagery. He uses the image particularly of, of light. And for him, light is life and light is goodness and light is understanding. And he also uses the image of darkness. Darkness is death. Darkness is evil. It's, it's unbelief. It's misunderstanding. You know, even today, we, we still speak of people, if they're left out of a secret... Uh, they're in the dark. And Mary, John and Peter, they've seen the empty tomb, but they are in the dark as to what it means. But the light switches on when Jesus appears. So Mary, she stays in the garden. She's searching for Jesus. In verse 15, uh, we see she chats to a man who she thinks is a gardener. You know, have you taken Jesus' body? And in verse 16, the risen Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And just as Jesus said back in John 10, my sheep know my voice, at that moment she understands. At that moment the light goes on. You know, the the vacant tomb gives way to the risen Christ. Um, Emptiness has never seemed so precious, never seemed so valuable now, so satisfying. The the darkness passes and and she throws herself and she clings to Jesus. In verse 17, uh, she tells her not to cling on. Actually, there's more important things to do. You go, let others know. Uh, And Jesus himself has important things to do. He has to ascend on high. He has to go up and rule, which is what Jesus is doing right at this very moment. He is there at the Father's right hand. He is there waiting until it is time for him to come back and judge the living and the dead, bring this world to an end. But in the meantime, he wants Mary, go, let others know that I am alive. Let them know I am well. Uh, She goes, she tells them, but the clincher for them and for the other disciples, is when Jesus appears to them uh, in verse 19. It's, it's through doors that are locked. And in verse 20, as he appears, they are overjoyed. You know, the, the first Christians didn't believe in the resurrection because of an empty tomb and they couldn't find the body. They believed because they found the living Christ. You know, let's be very clear today. Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is alive. Now, that's what he separates uh, Jesus' experience from, from just an ordinary survival story. So in 2006, 
uh, the Australian adventurer Lincoln Hall was left for dead descending Everest. Uh, so he'd, he'd already made it to the top with his team. They were on their way down, but still at a very high altitude. Um, altitude sickness had gotten to him. He started hallucinating. So instead of wanting to go down the mountain, he wanted to go back up again. Uh, they didn't have supplies. They didn't have oxygen for that. Um, he kept fighting with his guides, refusing to go with them back down the mountain and saying, no, no, I'm going back up. Um, oxygen supplies dropped to, uh, to the point that the rest of the team um, had to leave him there because to stay with him any longer meant they'd all die. They left him for dead. Uh, they got down a statement of his death was given to his friends and his family. The real shock, though, was the following day. Uh, another party came across him, uh, and there he was, sitting cross-legged, uh, without supplies, without oxygen, uh, barely clothed. He'd started stripping off the warm clothing he had, even at that kind of level, because of uh, the effect of um, yeah, the hallucination, altitude sickness. But he was alive. Uh, he turned to them and he said a cracker of a line, I imagine you're surprised to see me here. Yeah. Uh, he went on to write a book, I Shouldn't Be Alive. Um, you know, here is a man who beat death. But sadly, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Lincoln Hall quietly slipped away, age 56. You know, the good news didn't last. Uh, mesothelioma did to him what Everest couldn't. And you get the idea... Paul is a, a survivor. He cheated death. But death might lose rounds, but it doesn't lose battles. Except this one time with Jesus. Jesus didn't survive. He is alive. It's not he was alive, but it's that simple truth that Ed's mum taught to him. Jesus is alive, even now. You know, resurrection means Jesus is right now alive. And that one victory, that one man's victory, means that death has now lost its grip on all those connected to Jesus. Now, that's why you should rejoice today. That's why this is a day of gladness if you know Jesus, because death no longer has to be the final word on your life. Jesus spoke clearly about himself. He spoke clearly about death and us. Uh, back in John 11, he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Get across empty tomb isn't just about one man's victory and isn't that lovely. It's actually the first of a massive crop of people who will all with him overcome death. Yeah, and because death is no longer the final word, you are free to live differently now. now we're, we're, you can live now free in light of eternity rather than limited by this short span. Now, whether you're here tonight and you've you know, spent a lifetime trusting Jesus or Perhaps you're here tonight and you're weighing up, you know, should I click on and follow him? The resurrection affirms that faith is the long-term sensible option. It's true that if death was the end, faith would be silly. You know, to give things up to follow Jesus wouldn't make any sense if it was just for this life. You know, belief, trusting Jesus, committing to following him will put you behind your neighbours in some ways. Uh, for Peter, in John 21, we saw then it's going to cost him his life. It, it looks different, though, for different people. For John, it's going to look a little different. He's not going to die in the same way. It's going to look a little different for us. But it will cost you, and you will be behind. Uh, I, when I meet with uh, couples to prepare them for marriage, uh, every couple I meet with, I encourage them to be financially generous. Most Christian couples I meet with already are. Most non-Christian couples I meet with aren't. In fact, most of them give nothing. 
And if you're generously here, a follower of Christ, and because of your faith, you're giving away 10, 15% of your money, it's actually really hard to live in a comparable suburb and in comparable housing with your colleagues. You know, faith can put you behind in criteria that, that's only measurable by this life. And that's why lots of people refuse to have faith. Because of what it will cost them now. They're just living for now. Aldous Huxley, a writer, a philosopher, uh, in his book Ends and Means, he conceded why it was he was so anti-Christian. He wrote as to the fact that he was driven by an agenda. To quote him, For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. You get that? He, he rejected, he refused to believe because he was recognising eternity would shape and... Well, that was exciting, wasn't it? Just in case the thunder was too distracting, we've got our own distractions to keep us focused. You get Huxley, he grasped the fact that he, to acknowledge eternity means he would have to change his present, he would have to live differently. Can you hear at the back? Yeah, okay, I'm seeing a nod. So I'm going to take that as a positive, Dom. Excellent. Even the Apostle Paul, a great advocate for the resurrection, he conceded in 1 Corinthians 15 that if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied, more pitied than all men. You know, it is, it is foolish to follow Jesus and have faith if it's just for this life, but Jesus is alive. You know, his resurrection means that all who believe in him will also live. Death isn't the final word on your life. You know, so that frees you. You can live differently. You can, you can gladly and freely and willingly just give yourself over to loving God completely with everything you've got. And you can give yourself over to loving your neighbour as yourself. Because any costs that you bear won't be wasted in eternity. In fact, the only futile life is the one lived trying to hold tightly to those things that death will take from you anyway. You know, all who trust the risen Jesus, live glad, live joyous, because death is not the final word on your life. That's the joy of resurrection. Word two, second reason for joy is transformation. A transformation of creation. Be glad today, be joyous, because creation will be transformed. Uh, so John is really careful to show how um, this age of resurrection beyond death is actually still connected to the creation, the life we experience here and now. So he stresses the, the empty tomb that Peter and John and, and uh, Mary all bear witness to. And, and when Jesus meets with them, he's still the Jesus they know. They recognize him. Mary recognizes him in verse 16. In verse 20, the disciples saw the Lord. They see the one they know and they see he is still bearing the scars of his suffering for them. It's the same Jesus who lives now. Now later when uh, he appears to Thomas... Uh, we didn't read that bit, but he appears to Thomas and Jesus offers, you know, touch my wounds, see that it's really me, see that it's still me. Now the resurrection of Jesus is not God giving up on this world, moving over to a plan B, starting something different. It's actually him transforming this creation. Now Christ's body though is transformed. It's, it's not trapped by this world anymore. Uh, it, it is physical and yet somehow it can move beyond a locked door in verse 19. You know, it is physical and yet it is fit to ascend to the Father's side in the heavenly realms in verse 17. You know, that, that transformation of creation 
should make us glad because it means you've got a good future. Now, at one level, um, we see how the future is connected to now, that God hasn't given up on us now, so that the risen Lord who has gone ahead of us can still speak to your broken situation. Now, he still bears the scars even in his victory. John Stott, he writes about going to Buddhist temples. He says this, uh, standing respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have to turn away. Why? Why does he turn away? Because such a God with immunity to the kind of pain that we live through, has nothing to say to us. Instead, what Stott goes on to say is he finds comfort in the God-forsaken God, the God who suffered for us, the God who still bears the scars and hasn't forgotten us. Edward Shalito wrote a poem after World War I in the wake of the butchery of World War I. It's called Jesus of the Scars. A little of it says this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Yet we all, we all suffer. You know, we bury parents and children. How we experience rejection at work. We, we have failure in relationships. You know, our hopes go unmet, our desires go unfulfilled. You know, whatever it is that the hardship that you're in now, that you brought here tonight, be assured that the Jesus of scars has not forgotten what that's like. Now you can find the, the load more bearable turning to one who actually understands, and even better than that, turning to one who can do something about it. You know, we, we see in Jesus and his resurrection a better future planned for us, one where the wounds are there but they've lost their sting, a, a future the Bible describes really richly for us, um, it describes it as, as all the goodness of creation, all the things that we enjoy, but without the curse. Now, if you are in Jesus, a follower of him, a believer in him, you have an eternal future of feasting with all his redeemed people. You, know, you have a future of tears and crying being wiped away. You have a future of, of basking in the glory of the nations being brought in, of all the goodness of creation coming in, and all of it being centered around our all-loving God and being in his presence. You know, as Scott said uh, a little earlier, the resurrection means to him it guarantees the promises. You know, if God has power to raise the dead, he has promise, power to keep all those promises that he's made. Uh, when my grandfather was dying, my mother visited him in hospital. Uh, he'd battled against cancer uh, for some time and she felt it was largely, you know, for the family's benefit, the sense that they wanted him around and so he just kind of kept struggling away for, for their good. And she went one time to give him uh, permission to die, so to speak, and to stop struggling, and it was okay. You know, it's, it's the transformation of creation in Jesus' body that allows you to do something like that. She knew there was a better future. Uh, she knew that she would see one day my grandfather again uh, transformed into the likeness of Christ's glorious resurrection body. You know, if you've come today, even to this day of joy, struggling and weighed down, be glad because the transformation of creation means you have a good future. 
joy of resurrection, the joy of transformation. The final word, the joy of restoration. The joy of restoration. Be glad because of the restoration of relationship. Be glad that God accepts us in all our imperfections. So in John 19.30, uh, if you're with us on Good Friday two days ago, you would have remembered Jesus cry on the cross, it is finished. It was finished on that day at Calvary. Everything that needed to happen to make uh, guilty sinners like you and me right before a holy and perfect God was completely done on that day. But it's actually in the risen Jesus and what he does and how he engages his disciples that gives flesh to what does it look like to be restored for everything to be finished? What does it look like for God to accept us in our imperfections? So again, 20 verse 20, uh, Jesus greets his disciples, peace be with you. 20 2019. At one level, that's just an ordinary greeting. There's a way of kind of saying hello. But it's repeated, uh, verse 21 and again in verse 26. Now, given the background that Peter had denied and disowned Jesus three times, you start seeing Jesus saying something more than, hi, it's great to see you guys again. You know, after abandoning and disowning Jesus in his time of greatest need, the word he has for them is peace. In Jewish thinking, peace is that sense of, of the unqualified well-being, the complete goodness of everything you could hope for in God's kingdom. You know, that is what we're wishing for you. And Jesus says this to these failed friends, these friends who said, I don't even know Jesus. And what he says to them is peace, not blame. You know, it's, it's peace, not fault-finding. It's, it's peace, not where were you guys two days ago when I really, really needed you. It's peace, not rebuke. And if it wasn't clear there in that you know, welcome, chapter 21 drives the point home. Uh, in lots of ways, you, you get to chapter 21 and you kind of feel like it's an add-on. Um, it could have comfortably, John could have finished at the end of chapter 20 and you think nothing's missing. You know, Jesus is alive, that's great. He's appeared to a couple of people, that's super. Um, even John 20, 31 has this kind of nice ending. John says, why bother to write? It's written that you might believe and by believing you'd have life. But there is something more to say. You know, we need to understand the, the depth of acceptance we can have with the living Christ. And so Jesus meets his friends out fishing and he blesses them. He gives them good with this massive haul in verse 6. It's so heavy, they can't get it in the boat. And then when they turn up on the shore, Jesus is already kind of serving them. He's made them breakfast. He's looking after them. And he eats a meal with them. If you've ever been kind of significantly hurt by someone, you've had a breakdown of relationship, you think the last thing you want to do is go and have a meal with them. It's a sign of friendship that he has with them. And then he has this pointed conversation with Peter. Uh, Peter had promised, back in chapter 13, Jesus, even if it cost me my life, I will lay down my life for you. Of course, when the heat came, he backed out. You know, three times he said, you know, Jesus, I don't know that Jesus. And so three times, Jesus asked him again about his love. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Uh, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And then he gets a little bit hurtful because he asks a third time. Uh, and he says, do you love me? And then in verse 19, Jesus asks him again. He invites him, follow me. That is, Jesus is clearing all the way of past failure and, and he's restoring the relationship back to the way it began. And Jesus is saying, I'm accepting you again, Peter, entirely. I know exactly what a failed and flawed guy you are. I know that you let me down and you are not a particularly reliable character, but still, come back. 
You don't want to follow me. Now the actions of the risen Jesus remind us that the work of the cross wasn't just about kind of ticking off a legal demand, it was his personal invitation. Yeah, and that, that kind of restoration that we can come back completely and find acceptance is that's a reason to be glad. Now you've got complete acceptance with the risen Lord. If you've failed Jesus, and we all have, then aren't his words of peace really sweet? Now the risen Jesus is proof of just how effective Good Friday was in washing away every stain from your soul. It's proof of, of just how wide God throws open this welcome into his kingdom to people who are repeat failures. A man shared with me uh, after a sermon on the, on the cross, he was in tears. He shared with me his struggle of feeling accepted by God. Uh, so he knew the facts, he knew Jesus died for him, uh, he knew... And he didn't doubt that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough to pay for him and more than sufficient, but, but he didn't feel accepted. Uh, in a large part, it was, it was his past, the failures he'd committed, uh, particularly some significant failures of his family. He had let them down in a major way and, and he'd apologised, but uh, forgiveness wasn't forthcoming. Now, and added to that, he had this impression of God like a, a stern judge, that, yep, God might kind of let him off this time, but it was somehow begrudging. And what he, he so desperately needed to hear was, was Jesus' words louder than his family's. Yeah, he needed Jesus' offer of peace to understand that God really had accepted him completely and totally. You know, have you failed Jesus? Now listen again to his greeting. Peace be with you. Now the living Lord does, does more than simply... Uh, change enemies to be, okay, we're at an impasse. He restores the relationship completely. He, he creates peace. He creates friendship. You know, it is possible to kind of sneak into church anonymously and, and sit up the back, and if you're doing that today, you're really welcome. Feel free to do that. Uh, but no one sneaks into the back door, into that heavenly banquet of heaven. You know, no one sits anonymously there in that future resurrection day trying to avoid the Lord's eye. We are known and we are accepted no matter how many times you fail, Jesus is asking you, you know, love me. Find acceptance and peace. Now, too much of good news is fleeting. And isn't it great that today we remember news that lasts and will never pass away. We remember the great news this day. We rejoice in it that our Lord lives. Good news that never ends. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his victory. We thank you that he has conquered the grave. We thank you that he is alive. And we thank you that that means death doesn't have to have the final word on us. We thank you for the way it sets us free that we can live for you and live for eternity. We thank you for the way in which Jesus has transformed this creation and created a good future for us. And Father, we thank you for the way that in Jesus, the living one, we have acceptance and have been restored to you. Our Father, fill us with joy today and fill us with joy every day, knowing that the Lord lives. And so we have great hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.